It's the HBCU Football Daily Podcast for today, Tuesday, October 30th. I'm Donald Ware. Of course, it is Takeaway Tuesday. And uh, what I took away from week nine of the HBCU football, um, week nine of HBCU football, uh, was the fact that there were a lot of upsets. There were plenty of upsets in HBCU football. Um, it, it, there's so many we could start with. Central State defeated Tuskegee 40-36. to Central State defeated Tuskegee 40-36. to Now, I, I consider this an upset, but if you look at what Central State has been doing the last couple of weeks, I mean, they've been playing pretty good. I mean, they, they've been playing pretty well. They've been a high-scoring team. It would have been nice if they could have played a, 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 like this a little bit more earlier in the season. But, I mean, this kid, Kevin Greenhow, the wide receiver, seven receptions in excess of 200 yards. He had two touchdowns. He's averaging something uh, ridiculous like 25 yards per reception. This kid is pretty good. And I don't know. I think this bodes well for Central State sort of moving forward. Meanwhile, for Tuskegee, I mean, nobody really wants to wrap up that SIAC Western Division. Miles, you know, obviously got a win, obviously, but they got a win this weekend, a last-second touchdown to defeat Clark Atlanta. So it looks like it's going to come down between Miles and Tuskegee once again for that Western Division crown. And Miles won that game against Clark Atlanta 28-7. Big upset, South Carolina State defeating Howard 27 to 21. That's a huge upset because Howard really was in position to possibly challenge for that MEAC crown. And now, not that they're not in position, but remember, Florida A&M has zero losses in MEAC play. They gave A&T one loss in MEAC play. So right now, when you look at the MEAC, it's Florida A&M with no losses and then North Carolina A&T with one loss. Everybody else has two Losses. Everybody else has two losses. And so, you know, um, Howard had, had a real opportunity. It was homecoming in Washington, D.C., and what a disappointment there. And, it, you know, it, it was disappointing for Howard, but then in the same vein, South Carolina State is starting to really, you know, they're playing, they're not playing bad. You know, again, Florida AM controls its own destiny. I got to be honest with you, uh, in my opinion, because, again, they beat A&T a couple of weeks ago, then had a week off. So you're wondering how will Florida A&M now respond? How will the Rattlers respond? Was the week off good for them? I asked, uh, I asked of course, Willie Simmons on one of the MEAC conference calls a couple of weeks ago. Would The schedule is what it is, but would you rather have played the very next week coming off a big emotional win against the defending champions and the black college, the defending black college national champion Aggies, or would you have preferred the rest? And he said, we need the rest. And so they responded again, Morgan state, also a team to defeat North Carolina A&T Morgan uh, hasn't, you know, they haven't had a very good season overall, but they do have the big win against A&T and for Florida A&M to defeat Morgan state, 38-3 38-3 to three, to me was a statement win by the Rattlers. And what it says to me is that the Rattlers are not letting go of this of this hold. I think ultimately uh, they're going to beat Howard this weekend. Howard is coming off a bad loss. I think Howard's going to do some things differently, and they're going to make some adjustments. But I don't think it's going to be enough 
to defeat Florida A&M this weekend, and then the only really other big game standing in Florida A&M's way uh, would be the game against Bethune-Cookman. Now, you can't sleep on South Carolina State. I think, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Florida A&M still has South Carolina State remaining, so you can't sleep on that game the way that things are right now. Remember, uh, Hurricane Florence sort of messed up the schedule, so those games we were supposed to have in either week two or week three, a lot of those games got moved to the weekend of Thanksgiving. So where the season would have been over the weekend or the regular season would have been over in the MEAC the weekend prior to Thanksgiving, you got quite a few games that got to be made up or have to be made up that weekend. So um, still some implications as far as MEAC play, but a huge, huge, huge loss for Howard. And meanwhile, a big, 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 big win for South Carolina State, continuing with the upsets, even though these are two teams that are out of the running for uh, division and then ultimately a conference championship in the CIAA. Johnson C. Smith defeated St. Augustine's 31-3. to This, I thought, was going to be a St. Augustine's team that was going to challenge for that, that Southern Division crown this year, going to be able to challenge uh, Fayetteville State, um, going to be able to challenge perennial power Winston-Salem State. And uh, this just hasn't been a good season for St. Augustine's at all because Johnson C. Smith has struggled. And Johnson C. Smith emphatically, as a matter of fact, getting the 31-3 victory over St. Augustine's. Uh, Some other upsets. Shaw defeated Winston-Salem State 26-21. It ultimately knocked Winston-Salem State out of the running for that Southern Division crown in the CIAA. Meanwhile, Shaw on a bit of a roll right now. 4-4 four four on the season, 3-2 and two in conference play. They can close out the season next week in that big Raleigh rivalry game between St. Augustine's and uh, ultimately have a winning record, which would be the first under third-year head coach, Adrian Jones. An almost upset, Grambling State survived in overtime to beat Arkansas Pine Bluff 45-38. to and, I mean, Arkansas Pine Bluff is putting up a lot of points. You look at what they've been able to do in back-to-back weeks in terms of the number of points that they've been able to put up, and they're only falling by a slim margin. And, um, man, uh, you got to feel for Alcorn State. But, boy, Grambling struggling to beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. This is a Grambling team that is the two-time defending SWAC, Western, uh, SWAC uh, champion, not, not, not Western Division. Obviously, Western Division, they're – uh, three-time defending, uh, but uh, but they're the two-time defending SWAC champions. Albany State defeating Benedict twenty-one to nothing. Albany State over Benedict twenty-one to nothing. Again, if you've heard me all summer uh, of the HB in talking in doing the HBCU football daily podcast, if you've heard me on the weekend edition uh, from the press box to press row, I've been talking up. Benedict and this being the team, the Benedict team that was going to win the Eastern Division. Well, cancel that because with Albany State's win, even and by the way, Morehouse also lost um, to Fort Valley State, who had only won one game all season. Uh, wow, uh, that that gives Benedict or that gives Albany State the Eastern Division crown. They still have. That tilt, the big tilt, the rivalry game against Fort Valley State next week, but it doesn't matter much because Albany State will be your Eastern Division SIAC champion and will play in the SIAC championship game. 
Probably the biggest upset in all of HBCU football last Saturday was Delaware State defeating North Carolina Central 28-13. Having seen Delaware State play in person, um, you know, quite frankly, not a very good football team, but some good football players. Again, this is a team that Rod Milstead inherited. It's been a bad program for quite some time. It's a young team. He's trying to get things moving. And I think all that he's tr- has been trying to get dumb, done culminated with the victory over North Carolina Central. It was homecoming uh, in Dover. And I'm sure Rod Milstead, as a great player at Delaware State, had a great message for this football team. And, I'm, and, and I know that that message resonated with those players throughout the course of this ball game in a decisive 28-13 victory over North Carolina Central. Um, if you're NCCU, that's a terrible loss. You were in the running for the MEAC championship. Now it's, it's a little bit further away because, A, Florida A&M has no losses um, and B, um, A&T has the one loss. So you're two losses down. I don't think two losses. I don't think we're going to have a tie this year uh, in the MEAC. It's either going to be um, – I, th- I just think right now that it's Florida A&M's to win, and I just don't see Florida A&M relinquishing that championship. I alluded to it a little bit earlier, Fort Valley State defeating Morehouse 27-22. to Morehouse had played well all season, started the season off 6-0, had the loss um, to um, – they lost to Albany State and then come, came right back and defeated Benedict last week. So you're like, okay, they're back on track and then lose to a bad Fort Valley State team. Uh, Morehouse maybe with an outside shot at the Division II playoffs, but obviously not going to be able to play in the SIAC championship game. Savannah State um, – you know, Savannah State defeated Norfolk State 32-3. to No conference, impl- no championship imp- uh, implications for either team. But just the fact that, that Norfolk State at one time, if you go back three weeks ago, where you know, when, when, when Florida A&M hosted Norfolk State at homecoming, that was a big game. Both teams at that time were undefeated in conference play. And you're looking at that game like, okay, um, what's going to happen there? Even though Norfolk State lost that game, you're like, okay, only one loss. It was still four or five teams that had the one loss. And then um, now you have Norfolk State losing to Savannah State. Savannah State gets its first conference victory of the season. Some other news and notes and some other games. Um, if you hadn't heard, Jackson State fired its head football coach, Tony Hughes, after Jackson State's 41-7 to loss to Southern. Now, this is a good Southern football team, one that's trying to to challenge for that SWAC Western Division crown. For me, you know, again, I've I've been saying this for the last four or five years on uh, from the press box to press row. Jackson State in the firing of its head football coaches, they're going it's like a carousel around there in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And I think it's very unfortunate. Now, I mean, you can look at um, what has or has not been accomplished by Jackson State in Tony Hughes's um, tenure, not even three years as the head football coach. Um, at the end of the day, for me, uh, Jackson State three and four after this loss. Jackson State three and four on the season, two and two in SWAC play, still with an outside shot. It's still plenty of season left to play. You still, I mean, there's still 
uh, you know, three conference games remaining, an outside shot. Why would you let your head football coach go? Now, maybe there's something I don't know. You know, I haven't really done the research on it. I'm just looking at it from an outside perspective, looking in and looking at the history of Jackson State and its head football coaches and the more recent history of Jackson State and its head football coaches. No patience there at Jackson State, and that's why the Jackson State program is where it is right now because there's no patience, whether that patience is coming from the administration, whether that patience is coming from the boosters, from the Jackson State alumni, from the Jackson State fans. There's no patience there, and that's why the program is where it is right now. You know, and I can go, I'm going to take you back four or five years ago when Rick Comagy was running a good program there at Jackson State, and they decided not to renew the contract of 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 Rick Comagy and it's gone down from there. They've had a plethora of head football coaches since that time. Harold Jackson comes to mind. Harold Jackson was an alum, one of your great players of all time in Jackson State history. He wasn't able to survive. And I think they thought Tony Hughes as the great recruiter that Tony Hughes was would be able to come in and do some things and fix the program. And so far, I mean, he hasn't had the success, but sometimes it takes time. I can understand that Jackson State had certain expectations for Tony Hughes in terms of what he was able to to accomplish on the FBS level from a recruiting standpoint. Quite frankly, he hadn't gotten the players in to Jackson State that maybe he had gotten into, I think it was Mississippi, Mississippi, I can't remember if it was Mississippi or Mississippi State, whichever program it was, he hadn't got um, comparatively speaking, that is, those kind of players hasn't been a lot of great players in the Jackson State program, but it takes time to build a program. You dismiss a guy uh, two games, a little more than two and a half years into his tenure, and it just shows the lack of patience that they have there at Jackson State. And that's uh, quite frankly, you know, in my opinion, why the program really is where it is now. Now, you know, if the program had won one game or you know, had won no games or what have you at this juncture, then I could understand that. You know, I'm I'm a proponent of allowing college coaches to coach out the remainder remaining year. I'm not a proponent of uh, of firing college coaches in the middle of the season. Had they been 0-4, some extenuating circumstances or whatever the case may be, then I could understand that. This is a Jackson State team that beat Florida A&M, who's number one in all of HBCU football in the box to row uh, coaches in media polls. So no patience, in my opinion, there at Jackson State, and that's why things are the way they are at Jackson State. And hopefully they're able to find the coach this time and give that coach the opportunity that he needs. And by the way, you fired another coach. Are they still paying coaches at this point? I, I, you know, I've talked about this a number of times. It's got to be better at Jackson State, and Jackson State's a program um, that has had a great tradition, has a great following. I get it. You want to win. I get all of that. you got to give coaches an opportunity to win. Maybe it's something that I don't know, um, and if there is, then so be it. But on the outside, looking in and on the surface, this is a bad look for Jackson State. Uh, in terms of clinching, I mentioned, Al- I mentioned Albany State, Fayetteville State also clinching the Southern Division crown of the CIAA. They're going to repeat in terms of playing in the CIAA championship game 
uh, C, uh, Bowie State controls its own destiny in the CIAA's Northern Division, and they got a game against Elizabeth City State. And I don't, I don't see uh, Bowie. I mean, you just never know. This was this to me was in terms of all the weeks of HBCU football this year, the most upsets have happened this past Saturday. Never know what's going to happen, but I just don't see Bowie State losing. So it looks like we're going to have um, a, a a matchup in the CIAA championship game between Bowie State and Fayetteville State. Now, if Bowie State loses and then Virginia Union defeats Virginia State, then Virginia Union would be that team to play against Fayetteville State in the CIAA championship game on next week. Don't forget to log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. You can take a look at the BoxToRow coaches and media polls that are up this week and some great information at BoxToRow.com. Also, you can study our scoreboard not only for week nine, but for all of the games uh, from weeks one through nine. Have a great day. Yeah, you can snooze if you wanna, but not on me, baby. And I ain't taking no loss. Yeah, I got heat, baby. No, I don't know.